0: Welcome to the Public Morality. Last week, Republicans in the Tennessee State Legislature expelled two Democratic representatives for bringing, quote, disorder and dishonor to the House. Expelling lawmakers from their elected positions is a rare move. It is usually reserved for those committing criminal malfeasance such as sexual impropriety or taking bribes. What made the expulsions even more controversial Republicans voted to expel two black representatives, but not the third, Democrat representative Gloria Johnson, a white woman, who was also brought up for dishonoring the house. No amount of nuance can change the fact there is a trail of breadcrumbs that lead from the Nashville State House to the dark days of the American narrative when disenfranchising people of color was the norm. At the time of this broadcast, one of the expelled representatives Justin Jones had already been reappointed to represent his Nashville district as an interim representative. It is also expected that his expelled colleague, Justin Pearson will return to his seat representing the Memphis area. Joining me to discuss the expulsions of representatives Jones and Pearson, we welcome back veteran Tennessee political journalist, Holly McCall. Holly McCall, welcome back to the Public Morality.
1: Hey Byron, it's great to be back again.
0: I'd like to begin this conversation by having you walk us through the events that led up to the expulsion of Representatives Jones and Pearson.
1: Well, let's start two weeks ago. Uh, there was a mass shooting at a private Christian elementary school in Nashville, the Covenant School. And, you know, as is often the case, Tennessee's Republican Supermajority lawmakers said it was too early to talk about anything to do with gun control or safe gun legislation, because honestly, it's not ever really the right time. They said, oh, it's too early to talk about it. Well, that was Monday, two weeks ago. Thursday, over a thousand people uh, showed up at the state capitol to protest, and most of them were teenagers. Most were junior high, middle school or high school students accompanied by some adults. It was an organic protest. Um, you know, I think there had been like some mom that had helped organize it. And the Republican response to that was to do nothing. And so these two lo- two lawmakers, two young Black lawmakers, Representative Justin Jones of Nashville and Representative Justin Pearson of Memphis, um, decided to get on the floor of the House. Now, one, one thing. So their microphones are habitually cut off by the Speaker of the House when they are trying to speak. So they stepped to the front of the the House chambers. It's called the well. And they were joined by State Representative Gloria Johnson of Knoxville. She's a white woman. And she's very disliked as well. Last year, she stood with her hand in the air for 45 minutes, trying to get the Speaker of the House to call on her to discuss abortion legislation. So the three of them stood there. Within about 20 seconds, the Speaker of the House declared a recess. And it was after the recess that one of the two Representative Justins pulled out a bullhorn to address the students who were in the the gallery. And so House leadership went out on a balcony at the Capitol and they stood out there for 45 minutes and they tried to figure out what they were going to do and who knows what went on out there. But after 45 minutes, they came back in. The Speaker of the House carried on business as usual and said he wasn't really going to do anything to these people. Well, by the next day, he's on right-wing radio and TV, and he's saying that what they did was equivalent to the January 6th insurrection. And by Monday, uh, two business days after this event happened, the members of the House had filed articles of expulsion on all three lawmakers. And Thursday, a week after this action, both Justin Jones and Justin Pearson were expelled. Gloria Johnson uh, was not expelled. She was saved by one vote. And here we are,
0: So they compared um, the protest on the heels of another mass shooting with the attempt to overthrow the way government operates uh, per the Constitution. Did I get that correct? That's correct, Byron. My father used to say, you can be right or you can be dead right. It it would appear that the Tennessee legislature chose the latter. Your thoughts?
1: Um, Dead right? I, I You know, I don't – your father sounds like a wise man. I, I think I would say they were just wrong, though. And they dug themselves into a hole. You know, first the Speaker of the House said, well, there's not going to be any punishment. Monday they stripped both Justin Jones and Gloria Johnson of their committee assignments. Justin Pearson couldn't be stripped because he had never been assigned to any committees um, and was not able to sponsor bills because they delayed his swearing in. And so I think by the after the speaker went on all these right-wing shows and talked about how it was as bad as the insurrection on January 6th, they had no choice but to sort of keep digging themselves deeper. And as it turns out, the hole continues to get deeper because now. Former Representative Jones and Pearson are being represented by former Attorney General Eric Holder.
0: And, and my father would say did right in the sense that there's nothing that the, the, what the Tennessee legislature did was legal. Well, but, oh, that does, but that doesn't make it the right thing to do. Well,
1: and it was barely legal. You can expel somebody, but expulsion has only been undertaken in the Tennessee House three times since the Civil War. The last time was in 2016, and it was for a representative who had sexually assaulted at least 23 women. And that was documented by a 60-page report that the Tennessee Attorney General handled. The report came back and said that this man shouldn't even be, should not even have an office in the Capitol, that he was a danger to women. And he was only expelled I don't know, four months after that report came out because he lost his primary. And I I think it was because he was no longer useful to Republicans. So there's just so many other disciplinary measures that could be undertaken before expulsion. And so even I think there's really some question about whether or not what they did was entirely legal. I mean, to your point, yes, you can do it. There are a lot of things you can do, but should you do them is another question.
0: And if I call if I have the history correct. Um, There was a gentleman in 1980. He was expelled and that that was after after being uh, found out to have taken a bribe. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So that would be Tommy Burnett. And he was in jail for something and was reelected from the jailhouse and then later was expelled after he came under a federal indictment. But federal indictments have not caused them to expel people before. We had a state senator who was indicted in fall of 2021 uh, for five counts of federal campaign finance charges, and he wasn't expelled. He was allowed to retire in the good graces of his Republican colleagues. He just didn't run for re-election last year. And now some of um, his fellow lawmakers are asking a federal judge to go light on him that he didn't understand what he was doing even though he's an attorney.
0: You know, no, I, I think throughout our history and um, politics, regardless of um, the party, that um, you pretty much have to be thrown in jail to, to, to be expelled. I'm thinking on the Democratic side, because the two people we talked about were Republicans, and there was Jim Traffican in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you pretty much have to be locked up before y- you get to the point of uh, expelling a, a member uh, of the legislative body,
1: yeah, it's it's bizarre. This Tommy Burnett we were just talking about was a Democrat.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Apologies to the Trafficant family because I um <laughs> had him as the Democratic representative. My apologies. But the optics here, um, let's just be honest, the optics are awful. You have a, a Tennessee Republican Party with a super majority. Uh, expelling two African-American males and attacking uh, a, a a woman. I mean, this harkens back to really dark periods in American narrative where disenfranchising people of color was, was commonplace. So the optics are horrible here.
1: Listen, they are horrible. And, you know, as I said, they don't like Gloria Johnson either. I think she probably would have gotten thrown out, except she had two white male Republican, I'm sorry, white male Democratic former representatives who represented her. And so I do think it was like sort of the white male people that helped her out that could good old boy with their former colleagues that saved her. But it's I mean, yeah, is the optics are horrible and the way they've treated them and the things they say about them. um, Like, I, I guarantee there's not a white man in that that assembly that's treated the same way that they are. I guarantee it. You know, there's only one person of color in the entire uh, Republican caucus on the House and Senate side. Um, He is of South Asian Indian descent. He is he moved here 50 years ago and he stood up and said the other day during these expulsion hearings that nobody had ever in 50 years commented on his race or his color except for Justin Jones, which honestly seems difficult to me to believe.
0: I, we we reached out to you because you know we've had you on before. You're an expert of Tennessee politics. But uh, my question to you, is this particular story specifically about Tennessee, or do you see the narrative here as something much larger?
1: You know, I would say that Tennessee leads the way in um, discriminatory actions these days. You know, our state governor was the first to sign a law criminalizing certain types of drag performances and drag performers. We have the strictest abortion ban in the country. Uh, Almost no laws governing gun safety. Uh, You know, the, the legislature passes new laws every year to drop the age of age of gun carry. But I do think we're seeing a pattern across the country. And my the news outlet I edit, Tennessee Lookout, is part of a chain of similar news organizations based in state capitals were part of the state's newsroom network and so it's been fascinating and depressing to see what my colleagues are working on around the country because we see these similar type of takeovers going on um you know in Missouri there was a group of black pastors who had i mean not even a protest or rally to discuss the fact that the legislature was trying to take over control of the St. Louis police department and i believe they were arrested for their rally so that's just one example. But yeah, if you if you start, if you have the energy to look at other states, we are seeing this sort of disenfranchisement of the people's will.
0: You know, when I first heard this story, the first thing came to my mind, when is dis- disenfranchising, and I'm combining the two districts of Representative Jones and Pearson, uh, when is disenfranchising roughly 135,000 individuals? largely people of color a good idea again we sort of go back to the to the to optics here and how are the actions of the of the Tennessee legislature you know not right down the road from poll taxes grandfather clauses or asking them how many bubbles were in a jar of soap i mean it's my view it's on that pattern your thoughts
1: oh it is on that pattern and it's not a coincidence that Memphis is the largest city in the state. It's also the only majority minority city in the state. Um, You know, the Senate, not the state house, but the state Senate, expelled a black female senator last year. And I think they were gunning for her from the time she got there. Nashville is not a majority minority city, but it is one of the it's the second largest city in the state and is a reliably Democratic voting. And it does have a large African-American population. So um, it, it goes. It's part of a pattern in Tennessee where we keep passing more restrictive voter laws. Tennessee does not require party registration in order to vote. It's an open primary state. And yet they are on the road to passing a law that would require polling places to put up signs that say you are committing a criminal violation if you vote in a primary that you are not for a party you're not a member of. So there's definitely a pattern of voter suppression and, you know. And I'm going to step down. I'm going to step down this road a little bit further, if you'll permit me, Byron. I don't think you could look at this without the prism of race. In the last year, we've covered an issue where the state comptroller of Tennessee was trying to take over, seize the charter of a predominantly black town in West Tennessee that is near an enormous new Ford Motor development, Mason, Tennessee. That one made national news just last week before all of this other mess broke loose we had a story on a historically black farming community in west tennessee that is um those folks have been hanging onto their land for generations they've had to fight you know they've had to fight the white white authorities to keep their land and the latest is the state of tennessee is taking some of their land by eminent domain also for the ford plant but they're paying them far far below market value and what other what other members of the community are getting. So I mean if you, you know, sometimes I think people feel like I'm putting my tinfoil hat on. But when we cover this time after time after time, the state tried to vacate the board of the Tennessee of Tennessee State University, the largest historically black college and university in the state. And I think when you start looking at this, it's clear that there's a pattern. And the pattern is racism.
0: I want to go back to something that you touched on earlier. You mentioned Well, let's assume just momentarily, we're going to assume that the law, the lawmakers, Pearson and Jones, were guilty of wrongdoing on some measure. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's assume we live in a world uh, where there's due process. Um, Even if they were guilty, what could have been done short of expulsion?
1: Well, the easiest thing to do and what is likely, I think what likely would have happened, I, I mean, if a Republican had done something like this or possibly even if a white Democrat had done this, is they would have had the, either their caucus, the Democratic caucus in this case, to censure them or to take steps to discipline them in some way, or the entire House could issue a censure, which isn't, it doesn't necessarily take any action. It's just kind of a, it's a slap on the wrist that says we disapprove of what you do, or they could have removed them from their committee assignments. And that has been done before by House speakers who had issues with lawmakers. They just stripped them of their committee assignments and renders them ineffective. And so they could have done either one of those things. And there is one white representative who had recommended to his fellow Republicans, hey, you you should do this, you or you should let the Democratic Caucus discipline their own members, or you're going to make <laughs> you're going to make these folks into martyrs. And you know he uh, he abstained from voting, which I think is some pretty weak sauce. But he was right about that because all these Republicans have done is brought national attention on Tennessee um, in front of the Nashville courthouse today. Their tents filled with national media. This has now been going on for a week and a half. Um, so anyway, yeah, there are ample options they had, but they chose to go nuclear.
0: Well, to 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 that end, you know, I was I was thinking about you know Machiavelli and the prince, and and Machiavelli says that once the prince goes to the limit of his power, he no longer has that power because you you can't go there again. Might this be the uh, case of Tennessee legislature, have they gone to a place to this extreme measure and they really can't ever do this again? Is it, is, 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 does it, so in effect, does it weaken them is what I'm saying?
1: I think it does. And you just mentioned this, but so it is very likely that Justin Jones will be reappointed by Nashville City Council to fill the vacancy today. Uh, there will also be, I think, a special election that has to be held indeed he's gonna like he'll win that handily maybe better than he did the first time and i think justin pearson will be reappointed in memphis and the law says the tennessee constitution says you cannot expel a member for the same thing twice so you know what's to stop them from getting up there with a bullhorn again there's no there's no action that can be taken now there's no action and i'll tell you something else I don't know that we will see big electoral changes in the next election cycle in 2024, but in 10 years, I think things are going to look quite a bit different because the protests at the state capitol by young people have continued. And, you know, that generation, I'm 58. They're different from my generation that came of age in the late 70s and the 80s and the Ronald Reagan years. These kids remind me of the 60s civil rights vietnam war activist generation they're not having this crap they're just not having it and they're going to be voting pretty soon
0: you you've been covering politics for some time and um when one has a super majority let's say like tennessee does like california does you know, on the other side doesn't it breed um an organic arrogance, because you don't have to hear the contrarian voice. You can just do whatever you want to do. You were mentioning the the legislature who offered, you know, a, a possibility before you went nuclear, and he gets dismissed. And isn't that the function of just being one of the downsides of being a supermajority?
1: Oh, absolutely. You nailed it. You know, the the Democratic Party held a supermajority in Tennessee from after Reconstruction until two thousand eight, and I mean, they were also very arrogant. They were arrogant. They were complacent. There were two major FBI scandals that came on Democrats' watch. One was called Operation Rocky Top. That was when there was bribery involving a bingo lobbyist. That came to light in 1989. And two prominent Democrats committed suicide from that. And the the irony is there were folks at that time who said, oh, well, hopefully people will learn from this. Like one of the people who said that in 1989 ended up getting ensnared in the next FBI scandal in the early 2000s called Operation Tennessee Walls. And that was another bribery scandal. And so, you know, I, I think when you become arrogant and complacent, yes, you start to slip up. And Republicans took power in 2008. But I would say, based on my observations, they're falling into this, trap much they're on a much faster slide than the democrats were
0: uh you mentioned operation uh rocky top i mean whenever i hear rocky top i i immediately think of pat pat summit and so i just said i just don't want any scandals associated with pat summit that's so. well
1: you know pat summit is an icon and yeah so we're we're on we're on the same page with that <laughs> Byron, do you have relatives in tennessee am i misremembering that
0: uh, not that I know of. I, I may, I, be, I may you. be, I may be wanted in the state, but I, I don't have any relatives in in Tennessee.
1: Well, um, I appreciate your welcome, <laughs> Pat. Summit.
0: on the theme of of, of, of of arrogance. I mean, we are more and more the competitive legislative seat, regardless of party, is going the way of the Ford Edsel, and so isn't this also part of how? We have engineered these safe seats, these gerrymandered districts, and, and all of this sort of works together to breed, you know, this sort of, this arrogance uh, organically, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, Tennessee is pretty gerrymandered. Now, I will say, Tennessee has always been a conservative state, even when the Democrats were in power for so long, you know, Democrats were conservative, um, I think. What we've seen there is the Democrats used to be the ones who were in favor of the status quo and they didn't love segregation. But now that's flipped. And since Lyndon Johnson in the 60s pushed the Civil Rights Act, the Republicans have been that party. But, yeah, I mean, it's also very gerrymandered. You know, we've got a Nashville, for instance, is, like I said, the second largest city in the state. It's a one county Um, that has now been cut up into three different parts. And none of the three congressmen who supposedly represent Nashville and Davidson County live in the county. They live 100 like 100 miles away. So that's poor representation. And then you've got these state house seats that are also pretty gerrymandered. And I'd say that is coupled with um, the fact that there's less media to focus on this like people are drawing their news from fox news or from cnn and msnbc and so they're getting only these national perspectives and they don't have the local coverage
0: they used to the the, the local coverage is also a thing uh slowly a thing of the past again um we we, we are still I, I i i can't imagine i'm i don't i don't live in tennessee i mean you know the area well i just can't imagine disenfranchising 135 largely you know, white residents of Tennessee. I just can't imagine that ever happening.
1: I, I doubt that would happen. Um, yeah, I doubt that would happen. And and th- let me also point out how toothless this whole thing was, because what's going to happen is both these young gentlemen are going to get reappointed. They will both win reelection in a special election that's probably going to cost the state, I don't know, a million dollars. Tennessee's got the money, but why would you waste taxpayer money on something that's going to have, like, it's going to end up with we're going to end up with the same representatives? I, I don't. It's just, um, yeah. But you're right. I I will tell you, if Gloria Johnson had been expelled, she would have been a. She would have, her seat would have been filled by a Republican immediately. So they might have disenfranchised the folks in her district um, if they thought they could get a Republican in there.
0: There, there are so many angles to the story. Uh, a particular interest of of mine um, is is just adherence to to democratic mores. Um, is it ever permissible, in your view, to go beyond those established democratic uh, guardrails again, sort of quoting Machiavelli, whereby the ends justify the means. And I know um, Abraham Lincoln, notwithstanding, so we'll put Lincoln to the side. But normally, is it is it? I mean, when does the the process work when anyone decides to go beyond those democratic mores?
1: I mean, I think when that happens, you are seeing the hyper polarized situation that we're in all across America now. Um, And I'm going to say, I think the Republican Party has gone down this Machiavellian path of the ends justify the means. We saw it with, I think it started with Newt Gingrich in 1994. I think we saw it culminate during the Trump years. Um, And I just like, I'm going to tell you, Byron, I worry about the state of our country. You and I are both amateur historians. And so we know that this country goes through these types of upheavals every 50 years, 75 years. And so the historian in me likes to think, well, things are going to be okay eventually. I don't know when. They're not going to look like they did before all of this started. But I got to tell you, like, we are seeing some authoritarian behavior. And I don't know for my historical studies that we've been like this before, that we saw legislatures uh, kick out duly elected representatives because they didn't like what they said or how they said it. And I don't know that we've ever seen before a group of people um, supported by congressmen, tried to overthrow a federal election, and the fallout from that continues. We still see election deniers as secretaries of state around the country, um, who are, you know, still acting to, you know, possibly overthrow elections.
0: Uh, let's let's talk about the unintended consequences for a moment. With all due respect, Representatives Jones and Pearson several days ago were not widely known outside of their districts. Um, I'm originally from Oakland and I, I didn't know the young man was from Oakland. Um, now they're internationally known. I, I read um, an article about them in, on the BBC. I also read one um, in Le Monde in, in French. So uh, this started with a case about gun violence. The Tennessee legislature, um, in my view, offers further proof that, to your last point, that our democracy is in decline. Because this is not the work of a democratic representative government, what we just saw last week.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to put my tinfoil hat back on. I mean, we do see, if not this exact action, yet around the country, we are seeing similar undemocratic actions. And I think this could happen in other states, which makes me to wonder who who's working on this? Who's pulling the strings? Because I'm not sure each state is just, it defies logic that each state is just coming up with the idea to take these similar actions. Um, and I, I think what I hope is with this younger generation that's coming up now, that I said reminded me of the sixties generation, you know, they're seeing these young lawmakers like Representative Jones and Representative Pearson who aren't much older than them. And these gentlemen are both extremely, extremely eloquent. They are smart. They are thoughtful. They are eloquent. And um, I mean, I think I, I kind of think we have to look to this next generation coming up to take control back, to take the reins of democracy back.
0: Uh I was just thinking about this, by the way. Um, wasn't Charles Sumner, uh, 1856, beaten with a cane on the House floor? I mean, on the Senate floor. So yep. we, we haven't quite gotten there yet, but. <laughs>
1: That's funny. I was thinking about that last week. Yeah. Preston Brooks, who was his cousin from South Carolina, beat him with a cane. And I think he had I think Sumner had lasting effects. That was over slavery. Um and, you know, I don't know that there's one single issue that divides us like slavery did then. But we're in a cold civil war. Yeah,
0: something did have lasting effects, as I recall. As I-
1: yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I think we're in a cold civil war now where I've got to tell you, I don't think a distaste for Donald Trump and what he did should be partisan. To me, there's a bright line about his behavior. He right, wrong. And I know Republicans, people who still consider this some Republicans, I just talked to one a little while ago who has extreme distaste for Trump, didn't vote for him in 2016. Um, and so like, I don't think that should be a partisan issue. And I'll, I'll tell you what, if somebody tells me that they still support Trump, I, I can tell you right now, they're not going to be my type of person. I don't care what else they have going for them. And I think there are a lot of folks who feel the same way. And from the other side, there are the MAGA people who think if you support if you identify as a Democrat or if you support reasonable gun safety or if you think it's stupid to try to build a wall across the Mexico-U.S. border, that you must be, you know, I don't know, an idiot, uh, woke, whatever.
0: You, you know, it's interesting because I, my guest last week had on, and we were, we were talking about that very same thing, which you're, which you're addressing there, <laughs> And I asked him, I said, but isn't it possible that there is someone or somebody's, plural, that could say, you know what? I don't like the former president. I don't like what he stands for. I don't like his Bush behavior. But if, if the choice is between him and a Democrat, I'm voting for him. So we, my point is, have we gotten over that threshold where we can't step back and say, again, what's, what's, what's in the country's interest? Um, that this polarization sort of takes over?
1: Well, unfortunately, I think what you see is there are Republicans who don't like Trump, but they're still going to vote for a Republican. So what are their options? Ron DeSantis? Like Ron DeSantis is undertaking measures that seem to outright wing Trump. And he doesn't use all caps. And he's a little bit more polished than Trump. So I don't see that we're getting a whole lot better. We see these fights in Republican primaries. And I think that's part of the issue in Tennessee. Nobody wants to be the one to get a threat from the right because there is a far right, farther right wing that is extremely loud. They are vocal and they are loud and nobody wants to get a primary from the right.
0: Well, I'm gonna go back to your, your point about young people. Just on a practical political level, How does this expand the Republican brand and just before even before the people you mentioned um, at the at the protests are voting age eligible? How does how does this expand the brand?
1: You know, I'm not sure that this is going to. Well, it does expand the brand, but I don't know that it expands it in a good way. If you are a young person, let's just say you're a young person and you were upset because there's been a mass shooting in your town. And so you want to go down to the Capitol and make your voice known, which even though you were not voting age, it seems to be like it's a good thing to have involvement. You go down to the Capitol and you talk to a member of leadership, as happened a couple of weeks ago, and that member's response to you is, well, it's not about the guns. Which type of gun would you like to be killed with? which somebody did say to a group of young young people down here. I don't think that's going to make you feel very good, certainly not about that person. And then you're going to look at the party that person represents. And then you're probably going to take a look at the other party. So, yeah, it's expanding the Republican brand with these young people, but not in a good way.
0: How about, I mean, let's talk about the young people that were in attendance. Do you see this potentially being one of the the, the data points that changes the narrative in Tennessee. You sort of touched on this earlier. I'd like to have you expand on that.
1: Yeah, you know, as I said, I don't think we're going to see a lot of electoral changes in the next two years. Some of these young people will be of voting age, but Tennessee makes it very hard for college students to vote too. But I think in 10 years, you're going to start seeing some change. Um, Tennessee's also got a big influx of folks from other states. You know, there's a there are people who come from California. I've heard them say that they are refugees from California and they are right wing. But the state has continued to attract big companies like Amazon, Oracle. Um I'm trying to think of some of the other companies. Those are the first two that popped to mind. And people are coming in from other areas that are also more progressive and liberal. Than Tennessee, and so you're going to start seeing the conservative voting base get diluted. Oh, Ford Motor Company's bringing this large, huge facility into West Tennessee, and you know, I think they're going to have some more liberal people coming down here from Michigan. So we're going to start seeing. I, I might be getting off base here, Byron, but I think we're going to start seeing a dilution of the conservative base here.
0: No, no, I don't think you are at all. I just just my familiarity and knowledge of California. It was um, 1994, I believe it was, 92, 94, somewhere in there that um, in the governor's race, uh, Pete Wilson, uh, the Republican nominee, ran a really nasty ad about illegal immigration, this really grainy black and white footage that had these people coming over the border. It was just to incite fear. And Wilson ended up defeating uh, um, Dianne Feinstein in that election. It was 1990. That's why it was 1990, I believe it was. He defeated Feinstein, who was running for governor in that election. But that was the beginning of the end, because prior to that, California was Republican. California was red. It was a Republican state. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of the change. Hmm. Uh, right there. You can, you can, uh, you can, you can put a marker right there, demarcation. And um, so that's why I was asking that question. Might, might this be that kind of marker for uh, uh, future generations? Like this is the moment.
1: I think it uh, will be actually, uh, you know, again, you're seeing these young men who are like just extremely eloquent. I mean, bright, educated, eloquent, and they're addressing issues that young people care about. Um, so, yeah, I do think, like, I think in five, ten years, we're going to look at back at this and see this might be the turning point. That, that's an excellent point for you to bring up.
0: Um, and, and it could be a turning point. I mean, again, we were talking earlier. Um, it, it, it certainly could be a turning point in Tennessee, but, 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 but a lot of communities are looking at this moment. And there are a lot of young people in a lot, a lot of other states that, that feel similar.
1: Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah. I mean, I do think the fact that this is, has gotten so much national focus that other States are looking at it and other young people are looking at it. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think young folks are going to start paying attention more to what's going on in their own States.
0: Well, you know, I, I just happened to, to just overhear, um, uh, someone and in uh, their exact words. I, I'm recalling them. Um, the young man said, "I don't know a I don't know blank about politics, but I know that that's wrong." So, so this is reaching people beyond just that um, Byron and Holly reverence for civic education. This just sort of cuts to something very visceral for a lot of people. regardless actually, regardless of age.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, yeah, people like you and I are like, we kind of live in this. We stay engaged in it. But if you hear, hey, this guy has been elected overwhelmingly. He was overwhelmingly elected in his district. He's been in office for, in the case of Justin Jones, since mid-January. Justin Pearson hasn't even been in office that long because he won a special election to fill a vacancy. And, you know, you barely get them in there. You don't give them a chance You know, I keep hearing Republicans talk about, oh, they didn't follow the rules. They didn't follow the rules. Justin Pearson said, man, I didn't even know this was a rule. I didn't know I could get expelled for this. I didn't even know you weren't even supposed to walk up there because they've been treated differently. But yeah, it does. I know it does look wrong when you say this guy got elected. He won overwhelmingly and we're just going to kick him out because we don't like him. We don't like what he said. We don't like how he said it. Come on, man. That's undemocratic And, and that there's right and wrong. And that's wrong.
0: Well, 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 To that point, though, I mean, I, I can, I can understand saying this person didn't follow the rules, but I can all, but, but we live in representative democracy. So this person is what seventy five thousand people, mm-hmm. something like that, that. Yeah, that's who he's. This person, I'm not saying all seventy five thousand voted for him, but this person represents seventy five thousand people. So he's saying this person, duly elected, um. Uh, is expelled. Therefore, we're going to disenfranchise those in that district for having the unmitigated gall to live in that district. Hardly seems like Madisonian government at its best to me.
1: Well, you probably know more about Madisonian government than I do. But but yeah, I mean, you could say, you know, Justin Pearson is probably going to get reappointed by the Shelby County Commission in Memphis on Wednesday. So he will be back up there. But nonetheless, that doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, we're in the heat of legislative session and these people have nobody to represent them for for a few days. And what happens when he gets back up there? He will be there in body. Are they going to continue to cut his microphone off every time he tries to speak? I mean, you could argue that even though he's there, if they're not letting him participate on committees, he, he wasn't able to file bills this session. Literally, he was not able to file bills if they won't allow him to speak his constituents are still effectively disenfranchised. He might be there in body, but they're not letting him have full participation.
0: My uh, book commemorating the year 1963 will be out second edition later this year. There's there's a shameless plug. Um, I want to read it, it. But, but in that book, I argued that Bull Connor with his police dogs and fire hoses became an unwitting ally to the civil rights movement in Birmingham. Might we witness similar in how we remember the Tennessee legislature?
1: Man, I think you nailed it. Because you and I both know, A lot of white people, most white people didn't care about civil rights in the South until they saw those fire hoses blasting away at young black people and those dogs being turned on them and biting them and tearing their clothes off. I mean, that was a very visceral presentation. And any decent person would look at that and think, oh, my God, this is not what these young people deserve. There's no reason for this. And yes, I do think, you know, when you see uh, when you see what's happened to Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, and the more their voice is out there and people can see this is a bright, eloquent, educated, this is not some, I mean, the Republicans would like to paint them as like some rioter or rabble rouser ones that, oh, they control the crowds. You know, like anybody who actually sees them and they're doing a lot of media as they should, I think, but anybody who sees that is gonna get the same notion it's a little bit more of a toned down bull economy. They're going to see, why are these people thrown out? What did they do wrong? They can see for themselves the kind of folks that Justin Jones and Justin Pearson are.
0: You know, what, you know, the, the irony, I don't know if you thought about this or not, but the, it was one, one of the real ironies in the larger sense for the, for the country that the United States just hosted a democracy summit, what, two weeks, <laughs> excuse me, two yeah. weeks ago? Mm-hmm. And so now um, it's being plastered all over the world ab- about the the state of of our uh, democracy. This looks more like Hungary than 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 what we promote as America as, as um, America's democratic republican form of government. So I mean, I mean, the Biden administration can't ignore this, can they?
1: No. And, you know, Joe Biden has spoken out about this incident in Tennessee. Vice President Kamala Harris made a quick trip spur of the moment on Friday. as spur of the moment as the vice president can do. Came down here and stood with the Tennessee three. Um, But I think what you're getting at here is especially over the last six or seven years, you know, America has begun to look more hypocritical. And I, I wouldn't even say it's just limited to the last six or seven years, as you know. Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime looked to the way America handled race and racism to help them shape their policies. And, and don't
0: forget eugenics.
1: <laughs> right. Yes. And that, that's something that doesn't get talked about enough because, it's you know, it's almost 100 years ago. But, you know, Tennessee or America, folks like to say it's the best country in the world. Look, there are a lot of great things about America. There there are a lot of great things, the First Amendment being chief among them. But we also have a lot of flaws, and I don't think there's any way to get better if we don't have a direct conversation about our flaws. And look at that, because when I talk to people in other parts of the country or other parts of the world, they're talking about it and they're talking about this stuff in Tennessee. I had a politician text me earlier today and said, one of my friends worked for the United Nations in Ethiopia, and this Tennessee stuff is on the front pages. Another friend is on vacation in Italy for a couple of weeks um, with her boyfriend, who's a musician. She texted and said, what is going on there? Everybody's talking about Tennessee. And so but it's not just Tennessee. It's not just one state. It's a bad look for all of us. If one state looks bad, all Americans look bad.
0: You know, what you what what you reminded me of is that when you go to. And maybe another been in the Civil Rights Museum in Birmingham. The very last exhibit are these newspapers in different languages from all over the world, from Russia, Cold War, Saudi Arabia, just all over the world with the police dogs and fire hoses. And this becomes supplanted as the image um, uh, of America. So I'm wondering as much uh, Republicans in particular talk about law and order and and American exceptionalism. Uh, I wonder, does the Republican legislature in in, in Tennessee and elsewhere realize this is how American democracy is being defined?
1: You know, I don't think so. And I think if someone brings that up in a conversation, you immediately become a socialist. You become anti-democratic, anti-democracy. And, you know, I'm just a big fan The word transparency is overused, but you know what? Like you got to talk about things openly. I talk about my issues openly. Not everybody needs to know everything, but if you can talk about that, you're not ever going to make change. If you can't talk about your issues openly without labeling somebody, you know, Hey, like, I think America's got a problem with this. Well, you're a socialist. Come on, man. That's absurd. Uh, I've been called a socialist. I'm not a socialist. I mean, I, it, it doesn't bother me. I get called woke all the time. I'm like, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I've tried to become awakened. I've tried to become woke in the last decade or so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think that people I think Republicans, somebody else asked me this the other day. And I think right now, Tennessee House Republicans are still pretty happy with themselves. They did what they wanted to do. They feel great about it. And they're going to continue to feel good about it until they see some type of ramification, whether they start to lose seats, um, or whether or not the state starts to take a financial hit and companies start uh, stop coming here.
0: Well, the next time, Holly, someone calls you woke, remember this is it's a new term, but not a new phenomenon. Because Thomas Jefferson was woke when he said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And Lincoln was woke when he said, this country shall have a new birth of freedom and government of the people, for the people, and by the people shall not perish for the earth. So someone calls you woke, you are in good company. Uh, Holly McCall, I want to thank you so much uh, for joining me today on the public reality. It's always good to, to, to have your unfiltered insight on. Thank you so much. It is a treat. Thanks, Byron. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at Byron at That's Byron. B Y R O N at publicmorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook as well as Twitter. The archive broadcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Prime, and SoundCloud. Those listening to the public morality on WSNC can now listen on its app. Using your mobile device, simply go to your application page, search WSNC 90.5, and click Open to listen from anywhere. And once again, I want to thank Elvin Jenkins and Michael Burns at WGAB in Huntsville, Alabama for allowing us to broadcast the Public Morality at their studios. The Public Morality is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at the Public Morality, I'm Byron Williams.